Father in heaven, thank you so much for the book of Revelation that reveals Jesus. And Lord, we just have our hearts filled with love for you today. Our great desire is to know you better. Help us to see in Revelation, and particularly the three angels' messages, a revelation of Christ that prepares us for the tumultuous times in the last days of Earth's history. Help us to know that when all the world around us is shaking and the ground under our feet seems like we're make, going to make us collapse and the world is in turmoil and conflict, that Christ is steady and he is by our side. He can get us through. So, Lord, help us as we study Revelation today to know you better and to share you more. In Christ's name, amen. 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 The book of Revelation, according to its title in Revelation 1, verse 1, and I, I would hope that you would get your Bible and uh, this is a Bible study period. It's not a preaching period. So get out your Bible. If you have a notepad, get out your notepad. And uh, we will be able to study the book of Revelation together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice that very clearly. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is revealed powerfully. We're going to divide our presentation into three or four parts. First, Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, the seven titles of Christ in Revelation 1. Secondly, the seven ministries of Christ in Revelation 1. Now, the purpose for that is to give us a setting for the entire book of Revelation and give us a setting for the three angels' messages. Then we're going to look at 10 contrasts in the book of Revelation. So if you're taking notes, you'll want to follow along. Then we're going to look at how those 10 contrasts relate to the three angels' messages. And hopefully, if this teacher can move rapidly enough, I'm going to look at Christ in every chapter of Revelation. Now, if you recall from Wednesday night, we looked at the prophetic aspect of each chapter of Revelation. We're going to kind of look at that a little differently in Christ in every chapter. So let's move ahead. There are seven titles of Jesus in Revelation 1. We begin there in Revelation chapter 1, looking at verse 5, title number 1, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So Jesus is mentioned right out of the gate in Revelation as the faithful witness. So you have to raise the question, the faithful witness of what? The faithful witness of who? In Revelation, Jesus is the faithful witness of the character of God. You'll recall that the John who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we find a Jesus who touched blind eyes and they were opened, a Jesus who unstopped deaf ears, a Jesus who healed withered arms, a Jesus who made the lame to walk, a Jesus that, that raised the dead. Every time Christ performed a miracle of healing, that miracle of healing shouted boldly and eloquently, this is what God is like. When Jesus broke the bread on the hillside of Galilee and fed 5,000, he was saying, this is what God is like. When Jesus restored a child to a mother who had lost her loved one, and Jesus raised her child from the dead. He was saying, this is what God is like. So what is Jesus a faithful witness of? Not so much of our sins, 
not so much of our faults and our failures. I love the song that says he looked beyond our faults and saw our need. Jesus is a faithful witness of the goodness, the graciousness of God. So that's a title of Christ, the faithful witness. Then it says in verse five, he's the firstborn from the dead. Why would it say that? Um, Moses resurrected from the dead without seeing life, Jesus without seeing death. And Moses dies. He doesn't see death permanently. He's raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus has raised a number of people from the dead. Why the firstborn from the dead? Firstborn there in the Greek language is prototokos. It means the firstborn in the sense of preeminence. Christ is the only one who's raised from the dead by the power of eternal life within him. He's the firstborn from the dead. Why is that an important title of Christ? Because throughout the book of Revelation, God's people would experience martyrdom. They would experience oppression. Some would lose their lives for their faith, but the resurrected Christ would be the one who could resurrect them from the dead. So he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Why is that as significant as a title of Jesus? Because there would be a battle for the throne. The throne of God is mentioned 47 times in the book of Revelation. 47 times. And so there's a battle for the throne in the great controversy. There are political powers that try to usurp the authority of God. There is a church state power, a religious political union. But above all that, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, and he will have the rightful kingdom restored to him. Now, the fourth title of Christ that we find is in verse 8. Jesus speaks himself I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, here, Jesus is the eternal one, the one who never had a beginning, the one who have never have an ending. He is the eternal Christ. If he is not the eternal Christ, he cannot give us eternal life. If he's not the eternal Christ, he can't grant to us eternity. So that's the fourth title. The fifth title is in verse eight. It says the Lord. So he is the Lord God. He is the one. So that is the fifth title, the sixth title, you'll notice that at the end of verse eight, he's the almighty. So throughout the book of Revelation, we serve the almighty one, the one who's never lost a battle with Satan, the one who's conquered in the, in the great controversy and will one day restore earth to its Edenic splendor. The seventh title that we find of Christ in the book of Revelation is extremely significant. You will find that in verse 13. In verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. This is John speaking, of course. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded with the, with the chest with a golden band. So the Son of Man. Why is it? that the last title in Revelation is this, in one is the Son of Man. Because Jesus identifies with us, the Almighty, the divine Son of God, the one that never had a beginning or never had an ending, tabernacled in human flesh. He is not a God like the pagan gods who are far off. He is a God that draws preciously near. He's near us in our trials. He's near us in our heartaches. He's near us in our sorrows. He's near us in our disappointment. He's the one who understands every temptation that we have ever gone through. He tabernacled in human flesh. 
He took on humanity. He indeed is the son of man. Seven titles in Revelation 1. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord, the Almighty, the Son of Man. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, we have seven major work, the sevenfold ministry of Christ as well. So let's look at the sevenfold ministry of Christ. First aspect of that ministry is he is one who loves us with an everlasting love. Verse 5, notice what it says. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who did what? Loved us. So who is he in Revelation? Why does it set forth this right at the beginning so that we will know in the challenges of life, in the mountains that we have to climb, in the problems of life, in when we are oppressed and persecuted, when the beast powered attempts to usurp authority of Christ, when we cannot buy or sell, we have one that loves us. We have one that knows our name. We have one that is there, that forgives our sins, that takes away our guilt. So what are his works? He loved us. Second, he washes us from our sins in his own blood, through the blood of Christ. The one who loves us changes us. The one who loves us transforms us. The one who loves us makes us over again. First work, he loves us. Second work, he washes us from our sins. The blood of Christ is so powerful. The redemption of Christ on the cross is so amazing that it transforms our lives. We are charmed by love, redeemed by grace, transformed by that cross. Third work of Christ, he makes us, verse six, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion. Now, do you get those three things? He loves us. He washes us from our guilt and condemnation, but then he makes us. He does something within us. He makes us priests and kings of God. We are part of the royal line. We are part of the family of God. We are priests, that is, that we represent Jesus before the universe. His last eight people in the book of Revelation are to represent him. Now, notice the fifth thing that he does. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye shall see him. So who is this Christ of Revelation? He's the one that loves us. Who is this Christ of Revelation? He's the one that washes us from our sins. Who is this Christ of Revelation? He is the one that makes us kings and priests unto God. Who is this Christ of Revelation? He is the one who's coming again for us. Fifthly, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, John says, and I heard behind me a loud voices of a trumpet. He is the revealer. We shall never forget that the one that loves us, that washed us, that makes us kings and priests to God that is coming for us, he is the revealer. He is the one who's revealed the truths of revelation. He's the one that gave this book to John on the island of Patmos. He is the one that reveals every prophecy in the book of Revelation. Sixthly, who is he? Verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. Jesus is pictured not in his high and holy place. He's in the midst of the lampstands. What are the lampstands? The churches that give light to the world. So Christ is walking in the midst of his church. He is there with us by our side, never to leave, never to forsake us. Who is he? He is the ever-present Christ who is with us. 
for numbers 0.7. We find it in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Where is Christ pictured? He's pictured as holding the seven stars in his hand. Who are the seven stars? They're the angels of the churches. So what is this communicating? It's communicating that Christ has his church in his hand. The winds of trial will blow against his church. The critics will criticize his church. The oppression will come to his church. But as Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He holds his church in his hand. And he holds us in his hand. Who is this Christ? What are his? What is the sevenfold ministry of Christ in Revelation 1? He is the one who loves us with an everlasting love, verse 5. He's the one who washes us from our sins, verse 5, verse 6. He is the one who makes us kings and priests to God, last part of verse 6. He's the one who's coming with clouds, verse 7. He is the one who reveals the divine secrets of the book of Revelation. He is the one who's ever present with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. And he is the constant sustainer, the one that holds his church in his hand. Now, in the book of Revelation, there are 10 separate contrasts. And uh, Jesus is the very center of the book of Revelation. I want to pause before I read, we go over these 10 contrasts and read for you two marvelous statements that have really helped me as I've studied the book of Revelation in the New Testament. The first statement is found in 7th Bible Commentary 907. Did you get that? 7th what? Bible Commentary, what page? You got it? Write it down, 907. This is a gem. You don't want to miss this. Here it goes. Every page of the New Testament scriptures, how many pages? Every page of the New Testament scriptures shines with Christ's light. Every text is a diamond touched and irritated by the divine rays. Every text is a diamond. When we study the book of Revelation, it's more than mystic symbols. It's more than prophetic beasts. It is Jesus. The Jesus will triumph over the principalities and powers of hell. Every text is a diamond representing divine rays. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 107, Ellen White makes this statement. The Bible is the mine of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The more we study the book of Revelation, the more we study this book, the more we are mining the unsearchable riches of Christ. The more we study the book of Revelation, the more these unsearchable riches of Christ are revealed to us. So we want to look at, there are 10 contrasts in the book of Revelation. And I want to look at these contrasts in the light of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. And you will see that shortly. But there are 10 contrasts. The book of Revelation is a book of contrast. Contrast number one. In Revelation, we find two leaders, the dragon, the lamb and the dragon, in Revelation 17, 14. Now, we won't turn to all the texts. We find these two leaders in the book of Revelation, the lamb and the dragon. In the book of Revelation, we find two spirits, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in abundance, 
and the spirit of demons. You find that in Revelation 18, 1 to 4, two spirits. In the book of Revelation, we find two signs, the seal of God, Revelation chapter 7, 14, and the mark of the beast, Revelation 13 and 14. So there are two signs. We find two women in Revelation, the bride of Christ, Revelation 12, and the woman in scarlet in Revelation 17. In fact, you find the bride of Christ outlined in a number of places in the book of Revelation. You find it in Revelation chapter uh, uh, 12, the bride of Christ. You find the bride of Christ in Revelation 19. You find the woman in scarlet largely in Revelation 17. There are two suppers in the book of Revelation. You find those in Revelation chapter 14 and the last part of that chapter. You find the married and you find the married supper of the Lamb in Revelation 14 and 19, and you find the beast of the buzzards. So in, in, in Revelation, you have those two suppers, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, feast of the buzzards in Revelation chapter uh, uh, 19 as well at the end. It's the two harvests that we find in Revelation 14. So let me, let me clarify that just a, a moment for you. I looked down at my notes and missed the text, but I'll clarify it. Two suppers, Revelation 19. It's the marriage supper of the lamb and the feast of the buzzards. In two harvests we find in Revelation, we find the golden grain harvested for the, the garner of God and the gory grapes tread out in his wine press. So there are, here are six contrasts we've looked at so far. Two leaders, the lamb and the dragon. Two spirits, the Holy Spirit and the spirit of demons. Two signs, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Two women, the bride of Christ and the woman in scarlet. Two suppers, the marriage supper of the lamb and the feast of the buzzards. Two harvests, the golden grain and the gory grapes. We find also in the book of Revelation, two alliances, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the alliance of the true Trinity and the true Godhead. Then we find the false Godhead, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. You find that in Revelation chapter 12, uh, for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working together. And you find in Revelation 19, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Um, you find that throughout the book of Revelation. In Revelation, you find two troubles. You find the smaller time of trouble from the mark of the beast to the close of probation. Then you find the larger time of trouble in the seven last plagues. You find in Revelation two choices. Revelation 22, 11, and 12. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is unholy, let him be unholy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. He that is unholy, let him be unholy still, etc. So you find two choices. In the book of Revelation, you find two cities. Jerusalem from above and Babylon from beneath. Now follow me closely. What is the purpose of the three angels' messages? And how do they tie, how does the three angels' message tie into these 10 contrasts? The purpose of the three angels' messages is to get us to follow the lamb and not the dragon. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to get us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not demonic spirits. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to enable us to receive the seal of God, not the mark of the beast. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to enable us to be part of the bride of Christ, his true church, not the woman in scarlet, the church of apostasy. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to prepare us for the marriage supper of the Lamb and not the feast of the buzzards. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to get us ready for the be part of the golden 
grain and the harvest of God, not the gory grapes. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to unite us with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the false alliance of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to get us through the time of trouble and to enable us to receive the seal of God to go through that time of trouble. The purpose of the three angels' messages is to prepare us to make the positive choice so that we can be righteous before God through the grace of Christ. The purpose of the three angels' message is to get us ready for Jerusalem, not Babylon. So the 10 contrasts of Revelation really are a backdrop to the essence of the three angels' messages to, to, to prepare us for the last days of verse history. Now, what I'd like to do at this point in our Bible study is to go through each chapter of the book of Revelation, each of the great sequences of Revelation, and help you to see how Christ is the center of every chapter, because each chapter in the book of Revelation, every one of those chapters in the book of Revelation, has a different aspect of the majesty of Christ. So we're going to look at that there in Revelation chapter 1. We have summarized that, but what do we see in Revelation chapter 1? How is Jesus revealed in Revelation chapter 1? Jesus is revealed in Revelation 1 as the eternal, almighty, self-sacrificing Savior who came once to minister, to redeem us from sin's penalty, ministers at God's throne to deliver us from sin's power, and will come again to save us from sin's presence. So in Revelation chapter 1, you have this total, complete picture of Jesus. That leads us then to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And what we find in Revelation is groupings of chapters. Now, those of you who are students of Revelation, and I trust most of you are, understand that Revelation 2 and 3 have the message of the seven churches. In the book of Revelation, the pattern that Revelation follows is very similar to Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we have time sequence prophecy. And the prophecies in the book of Daniel begin where the prophet is. So they start in Daniel and they go from Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the breakup of the Roman Empire, the rise of the little horn, the judgment, the coming of Christ. You find that pattern in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 11. In Revelation, the time sequence prophecies, the sequences of seven, the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets all begin in the first century where John is and take us down the epics of time. Now, we find that in Revelation 1, verse 19, because Revelation 1, verse 19 is the prophetic key that helps us to understand the book. The angel speaks, and Jesus speaks, Revelation 1.19, write the things which you have seen, past, the things which are, present, and the things which will take place after this future. So the book of Daniel takes us, or rather the book of Revelation takes us from the past, the present, and the future. Now in Revelation chapter 2, what do we see about Jesus there in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? What's the major message? Every church ends with this expression, and I'll give you the one or two of the expressions so that you'll see the expressions, you know them well. And here, when it talks about Ephesus, Revelation 2, verse 7, 
he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat of the tree of life. Let your eyes drop down to verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let your eyes drop down now to verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Are you getting the message? It is possible to overcome. So in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is revealed as the all-powerful Christ who enables his people to overcome whatever their circumstances, trials, challenges in every generation. So look at the seven churches. Ephesus is the church that loses its first love. It has doctrinal correctness. When you've lost your first love, you can overcome. Smyrna is the church is being persecuted. When you're persecuted, you can overcome. Uh, Pergamos and Thyatira, the church of compromise. When you're going through compromise, you can overcome. Uh, the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis is the end of the Reformation period where light is beginning to dawn, but yet there's still first persecution. When light is beginning to dawn, Jesus, the light of life, can illuminate your life. Philadelphia, the church of the open door, you can overcome the errors of your generation. Christ is there, and Jesus is there in the church of Philadelphia, enabling it to overcome and to walk through the open door of mission. And when you have become Laodicean and complacent, Revelation chapter 3, you can overcome. Why? Because the almighty Christ can enable you to do that. So in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is the one who in every circumstance of life enables his people to overcome. How do we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 4? Revelation chapter 4 has a vision. And the vision in Revelation chapter 4 is John's vision of the throne of God and the beings around that throne of God are worshiping there. In Revelation 4.11, there is a song that is sung around the very throne, the very essence of God's throne. And here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, Scripture says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and power and honor, for you created all things. In Revelation chapter 4, the theme is Jesus Christ, the almighty creator the one that fashioned us and shaped us. We did not evolve. We're not skin covering bones. And Revelation 4 is, is the exaltation of Jesus as creator. Revelation chapter 5 is the exaltation of Jesus as redeemer. John sees a lamb as it has been slain in heaven. And that lamb slain, that bloody lamb in heaven, is able to open the book of judgment and present his blood in our behalf. We are free from condemnation, free from guilt in Christ, by Christ, because of Christ. And there's a song that is sung, an amazing song that's sung in Revelation chapter 5. And that song is uh, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever. You have the sevenfold blessing given to Christ. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, one. Riches, two. Wisdom, three. Strength, four. Honor, five. Glory, six. Blessing, seven. So the sevenfold blessing to the lamb of God that has redeemed us. Revelation chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 11. These are a grouping of chapters that reveal something significant about Christ. Revelation 6 and 7 are talking about the seven seals. Revelation 
eight and nine continue the seals. There's a pause in 10 and the seventh seal is opened in Revelation 11. When you look at the seals and then on to the trumpets, rather, the seals and the trumpets, when you look at six and seven, you got the seals, eight and nine, you got the trumpets. When you look at the, the, the seals and you look at the trumpets, what do they reveal about Christ? Jesus is revealed as the one who triumphs over the principalities and powers of hell arrayed against his church. He's the mighty one who, who is the, the glorious victor. So I, I want you to see that. You look at the seals in six and seven, you come on to the trumpets in eight and nine, you have a pause in 10 and the seventh trumpet blast in 11. But the whole sequence of Revelation 6 and 7, the seals, 8 and 9, the trumpets, and 11, the final trumpets, that whole sequence ends with something that's significant. And if you have your Bible, look at Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord in his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before the God on their throne fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come. So here in Revelation, the sequences of the seven seals in chapter six and seven, the seven trumpets, eight and nine, and the final trumpet in 11. What's that, what's the, how is Jesus revealed? Jesus is revealed as the one who is Lord over all. Jesus is revealed as the one who sits on his throne. Jesus is revealed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords who will triumph, his church triumphs his kingdom triumphs, his people triumph. We find that in this sequence. Now, there was an interlude in Revelation chapter 10. What do we find in Revelation chapter 10? There are three chapters in the book of Revelation that describe the true church of the people of God. Revelation chapter 10 describes the historic rise of God's church. Revelation chapter 12 describes the identifying characteristics of God's church. And Revelation 14 describes the message of God's church. In Revelation chapter 10, we find Jesus as the divine revealer, the one who reveals the rise of his church out of disappointment. So in Revelation chapter 10, God's church arises out of disappointment. They eat the little book of Daniel. Their mouth in their mouth, it's sweet as honey, but then it becomes bitter in their belly. The prophecy of the 2300 years of Daniel runs out. And in Revelation chapter 10, the people of God who believed Christ was going to come mistakenly understood the climax of that prophecy, not understanding that Jesus would enter the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. So in Revelation chapter 10, the scripture says, that God's people must prophesy again. So we find the raising up of God's people out of disappointment, just like the New Testament church was raised up out of disappointment. God raises an end time movement out of disappointment. The disciples thought that Jesus was gonna establish his, earth, his earthly kingdom. They were disappointed. Christ did not come to establish the earthly kingdom. He was crucified. But on resurrection morning, he rose again, gave the disciples their commission. So 
the early Adventists, bitterly disappointed Revelation chapter 10. They eat the little book of Daniel. It's sweet in their mouth, but bitter in their belly. Out of that disappointment, God raises up an end time movement to proclaim his message. Who is Christ in Revelation 10? What does it reveal about Jesus? It reveals the Christ that is with his people in disappointment, the Christ that will open doors of opportunity for them, the Christ that raises up his people in a prophetic movement. Now we proceed from there to Revelation, the 11th chapter again, just to pause at it. In Revelation 11, Jesus is revealed as King of Kings. He is revealed, you know, in Revelation 11, you have the French Revolution, where the people of God are oppressed and persecuted. You have the witnesses, the Old and New Testament slain in the streets for three and a half years. But yet, in spite of that persecution, in spite of that oppression, in spite of burning Bibles, Christ still is manifest as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We move to Revelation chapter 12. What do we find there about Jesus Christ? He's the mighty conqueror. He's victorious in every one of Satan's attacks. He's victorious with Satan, rebels against God in heaven. Satan's cast out of heaven, Jesus is victorious. He's victorious when Satan tries to destroy the baby Jesus at his birth, Revelation 12. He is victorious down through the ages in the Old Testament. Uh, He's victorious in the New Testament. He's victorious in Revelation chapter 12 when, in that period of 1260 years, his people are persecuted. And he's victorious at the remnant. The dragon, Revelation 12 verse 17, the dragon is enraged with the woman. He goes to make war with the remnant of her seed. Keep the commandments of God and of the testimony of Jesus. But yet this remnant, Jesus is victorious. How do we see him in Revelation 12? We could summarize Revelation 12 in a sentence or two. How do we summarize it? Jesus Christ, Lord over all, who will, who will one day rule in the kingdoms of men, has triumphed over the principalities and powers of hell. He's never lost a battle with Satan. We are on the winning side. Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation 17 are a couplet. How do we see Christ there in Revelation 13 when it talks about the mark of the beast? Revelation 17, it talks about the scarlet woman. Jesus is revealed as the true prophet there. We see Christ as the one who reveals error, exposes apostasy, who warns his people of what's coming. That's Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. What do we see in Revelation 14? If you're summarizing Revelation 14 and the very essence of Revelation 14, what do you see? In Revelation 14, you see the message of a loving God who reveals to his people the everlasting gospel, who reveals to them an end time message that's to go to the ends of the earth, a message calling men and women back to worship the creator in an age of evolution. You see Jesus not being taken by surprise. You see Jesus unmasking evil. You see Jesus calling men and women to give reverence to God. You see him calling men and women to obey God. You see him calling them to give glory to God. In an age when people treat their bodies like a funhouse, in an age when alcohol flows and people are destroying their bodies through tobacco and unclean food, you see a message giving to glory to God, calling back 
to treat our bodies as the temple of the living God. You see a message of judgment that it's no longer business as usual, pleasures as usual. What do we see in Revelation chapter 14? We see the warning against Babylon, an apostate religious system. We see the call not to worship the beast. We see in Revelation 14, 12, a Christ that loves us so much that he says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So in Revelation 14, what is the essence? Christ reveals an end time message in love to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. Now, Revelation 15 and 16, where do we see Christ there? In Revelation 15 and 16, we see the essence of judgment falling in the seven last plagues. But every one of those plagues reveals a Christ who cares and loves who and has previously warned his people. That's why you have Revelation 15 before you have Revelation 16. Revelation 16, 15 pictures a people on the sea of glass. It pictures the redeemed of all ages. Revelation 15 pictures the response to the three angels' messages. In Revelation 15, you have the people that responded to the messages. They are saved. They are standing on the sea of glass. They've accepted the messages of love. Revelation 16 are people that have rejected those messages. They receive the mark of the beast. Therefore, they are lost through all eternity. So Revelation 14 leads us into Revelation 15 and 16, showing the contrast between those two groups of people. We've talked about Revelation 17. Jesus is the one that reveals apostasy. Revelation 18, Christ is the one that pours out his spirit in almighty power in the last days of earth's history. The earth is lightened with the glory and the character of God. We talked about that this morning. He is the Jesus that will not let this world be in darkness. He is the Christ that lights the world. Revelation 19, you start with the four hallelujahs. Hallelujah to our God. Revelation 19, verse 1. Who is Jesus in Revelation 19? King of kings and Lord of lords, and the whole universe is worshiping him. Revelation 19, 1. These things I heard a loud voice, a great multitude after these things, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. That's the first Alleluia. You go to the second Alleluia, verse 3. They said, Alleluia, the smoke of her torment ascends forever and ever. Third Alleluia, the four elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship God, sat on the throne saying, hallelujah. Then you come to the fourth hallelujah. And I heard verse six, as it were, the voice of a great multitude is the sound of many waters, is the sound of mighty thunder saying, hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Who is Jesus in Revelation 19? He is the Lord our God, a potent omnipotent who reigns. He is the all-powerful Christ. This is the theme of the book of Revelation. He is the lamb that dies. He is the priest that lives. He is the Christ that reigns, Revelation chapter 20. Who is he? He is the one that binds Satan. He is the one who allows Satan to wander on this desolate earth showing the results of sin. He is the one who's the mighty conqueror. Who is he in Revelation chapter 21? He is the one who creates this earth in Edenic splendor. Jesus, according to Ephesians 3, verse 9, is the creator. And in Revelation chapter 21, the creator recreates, the creator remakes this earth that's so pockmarked by sin, this polluted planet, this planet defiled by sin, this snake pit of a world. What does he do? The holy city descends. John says, I, John, saw 
new heaven and a new earth. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This world becomes, this planet in rebellion becomes the center of the universe. And the holy city descends as the capital of the universe. And the earth is made new. And we travel with Jesus from star to star and from planet to planet telling the story of his love, the story of his grace, the story of his goodness. Revelation chapter 21, who is Jesus there? He is the one who created the world in Edenic splendor once, and he is going to make this world over again and create it again. Who is he in Revelation chapter 22? He is the Jesus that wants to spend eternity with us. Revelation chapter 22, it says, Verse three, verse four, there shall be no more curse. The curse of sin is over. So once again, like Adam and Eve in the earth made new, like they saw him in the garden home, we see him again face to face. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it. His servant shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Who is this Jesus in Revelation 22? What is the purpose of the three angels' messages? It is to prepare us to see Jesus, so we can walk with him and talk with him and fellowship with him and see him face to face by his glory. Amen. Ready? Thank you so much, Pastor Mark. We really appreciate that message. It was absolutely beautiful and perfect. Amen. Now, Pastor Mark, we do have a question for you, and we will go to the polling question first. The poll question, if we can just have that up, was um, how, what is the, the following statement about the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, A, primarily warns of a coming judgment. C, clearly portrays the cross of Christ. C, is most useful to confirm history. D, gives a compelling discourse on the great controversy. And E, B and D. Pastor Mark, the question is for you. How would you answer that question? Well, I would answer that question in quite a broad way, um, Bob and Andy. Um, in the book of Revelation, you have the Lamb of God mentioned 28 times, 28 times in the book of Revelation. You know, in the New Testament, it's only mentioned four times other than in the book of Revelation. So it's interesting. You have seven in the book of Revelation is the number for perfection. Four is universality. So why does it mention the Lamb of God? because the Lamb of God was well known as part of the Jewish sacrificial system. And the Lamb of God pointed forward to the sacrifice of Christ. So we have to say, at least in that question, in the book of Revelation, the cross of Calvary is powerful. The cross of Calvary is central. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our unblemished sacrifice. Jesus, in the, as the Lamb of God, is a symbol of total submission to the Father's will. So the cross of Calvary is, is central in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. In Revelation chapter 5, he is the bloody lamb in heaven. In Revelation chapter 17, uh, verse 14, he is the lamb that battles against the dragon and wins. You know, you think a lamb, <laughs> a lamb and a dragon fight, you think the dragon's going to win, but he doesn't. Jesus yeah. wins. Revelation 21, you know, he, he is the lamb. Uh, who indeed is worthy of our worship. So the cross is central, but the great controversy is central. Now, let me tell you something that's interesting. In the book of Revelation, the term throne or thrones is mentioned 47 times. Why? Amen. Because we have a battle for the throne. 
there's a great controversy. There's the battle over the throne of God. But again, Jesus is victorious in the battle for the throne. So we see in Revelation, the cross, we see the great controversy. We see the honor of God, the glory of God. And we see the three angels' messages highlighting the cross, highlighting the great controversy and getting a people ready for the second coming of Christ. Amen. Pastor Mark, you jumped ahead to one of our other questions because I also did that word study on thrones, but I'm going to throw another question to my husband and we're going to come back to that question on thrones. You and I were thinking alike. Great minds. <laughs> okay. Bob, why don't you ask the next question? Yeah, Pastor Mark. So one of the questions that we have is there's this idea of God being on trial. Now, that's sort of a unique concept um, to a lot of religious systems because there's one idea that God is so powerful, so sovereign, so above everybody else that he would not submit himself to being looked at and judged. But do you see that idea at all in Revelation or is that foreign to the book of Revelation, the idea that in some sense there's a judgment of God himself? Well, we see that, um, Bob and Andy and, and ASI, in, in two places really in Revelation. You find in Revelation 12, verse 7 to 9, and the dragon uh, fought, and Michael and his angels fought, and the dragon is cast out of heaven. So you see in embryo, Satan challenging God's authority in heaven, Satan challenging God's ability to rule the universe in heaven. The answer to the great controversy between good and evil is not settled there. Satan is charged God is unfair, God is unjust, God is a vindictive judge, God's a wrathful tyrant. And so we find that God's being challenged there. Then we find this controversy waging through the universe. And in Revelation 14, verse 7, it says, saying with a loud voice, the hour of God's judgment has come. Why the hour of God's judgment has come? Because in the judgment, God reveals his justice, his love, his mercy, his grace. On the cross of Calvary, before the entire universe, Jesus revealed his grace to the universe yeah. and settled in the minds of the universe his love. But in the judgment, God now reveals that he has treated every life fairly mm -hmm. and that those who are lost are lost because of their own choices, not because his arbitrary decision. So the cross vindicates Christ before the universe. Amen. But the judgment answers questions about how he has dealt with each individual case mm. And uh, it, it reveals to a waiting world and a watching universe that God has done everything he possibly could do to save human beings. So the vindication of God comes at the full consummation at the end of the great controversy when you look at it from the larger standpoint. So the whole concept of judgment, the whole concept of God on trial is in the light of this larger question of the great controversy. Amen. Thanks, Mark. That's very, very helpful. helpful. So Mark, the next question, we're gonna go back to that thrones because I wanna make sure that we really flesh out this great controversy theme. And you're right, I, I checked your math and you're right. I also did a word study in Re Revelation and certainly thrones slash kingdom is mentioned 44 times, lamb is mentioned 27 times. Now, what is the significance of using that symbology of thrones or kingdom? The importance of that is if you compare Revelation and you compare Daniel, if you look at both of them, the kingdoms of this earth have tried to usurp God's throne. 
um, mighty powers have tried to take God's place. Um, a church-state union forms, and one speaks ex cathedra, supposedly from his throne, and usurps the place of God. The idea of throne is the idea of kingship, it's the idea of sovereignty, it's the idea of rulership. So the theme of the book of Revelation in the light of the great controversy is that through the Lamb of God in the blood of Christ, the throne of God can be restored as Jesus Christ comes again. So the whole concept there is that in this great controversy, God is the rightful ruler through the blood of Christ and that we one day can worship together on his throne with him. Amen. You know, Revelation 5 brings this out when they all sing, worthy is the lamb because he was slain. So praise mm -hmm. the Lord for that, that um, answer, Mark, and for that question. My husband has another question for you. Mark, here's one of the questions that submitted, I think is, is very interesting. I'm really interested in your answer on this. Revelation 21 talks about uh, God wiping away every tear, but it does that at the end of the millennium rather than at the second coming. Now, a lot of us think that every tear is going to be wiped away at the second coming. Is there any significance to the fact that that phrase about wiping away every tear is at the end of the millennium and not at the second coming? I will give you my idea, my concept of that. I cannot turn to a Bible text on this. You know, if I could, I would. But here's what I understand about that. When Jesus comes the second time and we are caught up to heaven with him, according to Revelation chapter 20, we reign with Christ on his throne, on thrones for a thousand years before coming to earth. Why doesn't Jesus just come the second time, do away with sin and establish earth, his, his kingdom on earth? The reason he doesn't do that is because he's dealing with the great controversy between good and evil in a way that sin will never rise up a second time again. So when we sit on those thrones and, and have an opportunity to go over the records, we see why certain individuals are saved and why certain individuals are lost. We see that Christ has done everything he could to save people. Why is every tear not wiped away till the end of the millennium? Because I think that God himself may shed a tear when people have to be finally annihilated. Mm. And I think we may weep with him. Amen. Weep. Why do we weep? Because our heart is united with Christ's heart because our lives are so intertwined with his, I cannot possibly see God not weeping mm. over the lost. Amen. And I think we weep with him. But then what happens? He wipes the whole memory out of our minds so that we now are filled with his joy and grace with no memory and the former things never come to mind again. Amen. Uh, a, a weeping God. What a rare picture that is of God. Amen. We share the pain with, that he shares yeah. And Amen. then that pain is gone forever Amen. and sin Amen. is gone forever. Amen. Amen. What I want to do right now is look at our poll results. If we can have a slide up on the poll results, that would be great. Wonderful. It's in microscopic, but I know what it says. Pastor Mark, 81% of people agreed with us that B and D were correct. So we can praise the Lord this afternoon for his mercies. I thank you so much for joining us. May God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org.
Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.